Welcome to the latest episode of our COVID-19 Business in Focus podcast. I'm Paul Lenadutsi, a director at PwC, and I co-host this series along with my colleague, Rowena Morris. COVID-19 has accelerated some of the major trends we were already seeing in the way we live and work, which has had a profound impact on our infrastructure and real estate needs, and meeting them will be fundamental to the UK's economic recovery. In this episode, we'll provide practical recommendations for firms, whether they're planning, investing in, developing, or operating real assets. And we'll take a look at what the role of the public and private sectors might be in facilitating this change. Today, I'm joined in our virtual studio by Simon Hampton and Neil Broadhead. Simon leads our real assets team and is a real estate specialist by background. And Neil leads our real assets deals team and is also our EMEA Capital Projects and Infrastructure Leader. Welcome, Simon and Neil. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Pleasure. So, Simon, starting with you then, what exactly do we mean when we refer to real assets? Well, put simply, uh, real assets is what we refer to as the built environment and infrastructure that surrounds us and enables us to live our lives. Provides us with the communications, uh, energy, transport, and the places that we need to live, work, and consume. And it's an interesting concept that we've observed over the last 18 months or so, where what was previously referred to as infrastructure or real estate have very much become blurred. And the term real assets is now being used quite extensively across particularly the investment management industry. And in recent years, we've seen the infrastructure and real estate extend their traditional reach. So infrastructure, for example, uh, from utilities, roads and hospitals, now going into fiber, data centers and energy storage while real estate has gone into logistics, flexible space, retirement living, and things like student accommodation. Real assets, therefore, are basically uh, inextricably linked to one another and our lives in totality. Thanks, Simon. That's really clear. So how has COVID-19 impacted real assets then? Well, as I mentioned above, we've been monitoring this trend of infrastructure and real estate um, combining into this real assets theme. COVID, of course, has significantly accelerated uh, major trends that we were already seeing. Um, Clearly, we are now remote working. Uh, There is a a huge increase in online shopping, uh, very much reduced need for business travel. And this has a profound impact on the infrastructure and real estate we need around us. In particular, communications infrastructure has been especially keen uh, to allowing us to work from home. Uh, And you will have seen also that our leisure and home models have clearly been uh, appended uh, with images of airports, offices, shopping centres all sitting empty uh, and over heavy reliance now on other assets such as fibre and logistics, which are now playing a crucial role uh, in supporting our society. Um, Interestingly, you also will have seen recently um, uh, significant announcements from the government. Um, around build, build, build and project speed. So it is very clear that real assets and infrastructure in particular uh, will be a key theme of of getting the UK economy getting back to normal. Uh, And we've heard phrases like levelling up and you're watching very clearly uh, the future potential in our high streets and towns uh, with retail um, distress. And I think very important also for all of us to bear in mind is that however we look at our real estate and infrastructure going forward and whatever we build back uh, we have a big focus now quite rightly so uh, on net zero uh, and we should be building back better. Thanks Simon that's really interesting. Neil turning to you then what specific challenges or opportunities has this created in the market? 
Uh, look, Paul, that's that's a great question, um, and I think building slightly on what Simon has said, I think the I think the challenges are fairly obvious for all of us to see, um, and, and of course that depends on whether you're an investor, uh, whether you're a developer, uh, whether you're a uh, sort of more conventional owner. Um, the, the uncertainty on the future use of certain asset types is, is really unclear and um, obviously that creates um, you know enormous challenges for a number of those sort of stakeholder groups that I've referred to and, and who would take bets on demand projections in transport for example as evidenced by Simon's point about the um, the airport so I think some of the other challenges that we've seen you know the, the supply chains um, now uh, I think supply chains have uh, broadly been proved to be resilient to date um, but of course, you know, it is it is now July 2020 and there are stimulus packages and support packages in place. Those will start to unwind at some point in the future. Um, and therefore, uh, I think what I'm seeing and what we're, we're anticipating is, is a level of sort of supply chain um, pressure and distress, certainly in the um, uh, infrastructure uh, delivery space. Um, and there are real challenges around sort of productivity as well. When you start to think about the requirements for social distancing and other workplace restrictions, um, that inevitably has a has a, a, an impact on um, productivity. And that means the projects might take uh, longer to build or indeed there'll be additional cost. And, and at the moment that cost is being absorbed, um, but it's unclear exactly where ultimately that, that cost will reside. Um, uh, another challenge is right exposure to commercial rents. Again, that's um, that, that's uh, something that's played out and trailed in the media very clearly as well. So there's a, there's a number of challenges, but of course, with every challenge, there's there's opportunity as well, isn't there? And and I think that's where a number of the listeners to this podcast will probably be more interested. Um, so we've got a clear clear commitment from the government to to spend on infrastructure, um, and that and that spend is me measured in. Um, many, many billions of uh, investment into a whole range of different asset classes, whether it's hospitals, whether it's schools, whether it's uh, utilities. Um, so I think, you know, good opportunity in terms of sort of core infrastructure, if you like, uh, as supported by uh, government spending. Uh, I think there are, you know, in my mind, clear opportunities around some of the uh, sectors which I would describe as the go-to sectors in a COVID environment, and that's fibre, it's logistics, it's renewables, it's EV, it's battery storage, it's energy from waste, um, and then core utilities as well uh, in terms of sort of like a, a stable asset class to be considering. Um, uh, you know, who's going to be the winners in, in the context of that opportunity? I, I think this is all about first move advantage. You know, who can be quick to market, quick to deploy their capital? Uh, there is absolutely something about repurposing existing assets and embedding flexibility into their use and better demand profiling. Um, and of course, it would be remiss of me uh, not to talk about accelerating the use of um, uh, digital assets, digital operations, technology, uh, which will really drive an efficient efficiency agenda into the infrastructure uh, and real assets uh, sector uh, in my mind. And I think there are also um, clear opportunities to deliver uh, real assets better, if I can use that very sort of high level statement. And, and what do I mean by delivering better? I think that's about shortening procurement times. It's about compressing planning periods. It's about making quicker, better, bolder decisions. Um, and, and some of that requires quite a shift in mindset, actually, uh, in terms of what has gone before and, and an ability to make some fairly bold trade-offs. Okay, so it sounds like some 
good opportunities there. Neil, if I can stay with you then, if we think about the public and the private sector, how do you think that they can work together to create a better built environment? So, Paul, again, look, another another really great question, which I think is, you know, really um, sort of testing and challenging thinking and, uh, and, and sort of probing us to, to think really differently on a go forward basis. And we've all very clearly seen where public sector and private sector come together, for example, in relation to the Nightingale projects, you know, what, what, what a success that was, what a huge achievement and, and something we've not seen before. So I think, um, you know, bringing together the machinery of government um, and all of its capability and, and, and might that it can bring to bear, coupled with private sector, creates enormous potential. Uh, and I've referred already to the uh, the, the 640 billion uh, of uh, infrastructure spending that, uh, or planning rather, that the government's um, committed to. Um, but uh, you know, how do, how do we make this work at a more granular level? Uh, I think there is absolutely something about uh, policy and developing private sector friendly policy, which is aligned, clear, and commercially attractive to to the private sector participants. So I think that's sort of Point number one, um, I think that, and this is about public and private sector working together. And, and I say that um, uh, in the context of there is something about the UK market structure for the delivery of infrastructure and real assets more broadly. You know, we have a very different market structure to our um, uh, colleagues in, in Europe, for example. And just, you know, in very broad terms, you have to take the 14 largest by market capitalization uh, UK construction companies to equal um, the market cap of the largest European contractor. So for many, many reasons, we have a uh, more, more fragmented, less vertically integrated um, UK supply chain. And that presents um, challenge and opportunity. Um, but I think when thinking, of, going back to my point about policy, you know, that really needs to think about um, supply chain capability and capacity in the UK, uh, and also developing procurement models, which are aligned to the UK market structure. Um, and that's not to say that we shouldn't be inviting uh, market participants from outside of the UK. Uh, there is something about sort of the, the creativity of thinking within government uh, in its enabling role. Uh, interesting announcements from DCMS uh, in June of this year uh, in, in respect to providing greater access to the fibre uh, for the fibre companies to, to access ducts, masts, and other utility networks, for example, sewers. To help speed up and cut the cost of fibre rollout, so I think government has a has an enabling role with the private sector. And if I come back to the points I made earlier, um, I think private sector, public sector need to come together um, to agree, uh, you know, better ways to procure quicker. And I appreciate that's a very, very, um, that's a very sort of uh, uh, high level statement. Uh, fast tracking planning. I think we all recognise that uh, planning takes a long time in the UK for many good reasons because we, you know, very very thoroughly think through all of the sort of undertakings that we make and um, looking after the interests of everyone that's impacted by planning. But how can that be um, accelerated? Uh, recalibrating the economic and societal evaluation of projects to to enable some of those better trade off decisions I I, make, I mentioned earlier. And an example of that is, you know, do you sacrifice the bold and ambitious um, for the sake of, you know, the rapid deployment of capital into simpler schemes that can be brought to market quickly? So a range of uh, a range of different points there, Paul. Uh, all very, very interesting. Thanks, Neil. So, so Simon, Neil, if we're looking ahead now, even beyond COVID-19, 
it might be quite challenging for some of us to do so. But um, nonetheless, how do you think the way businesses use their real assets will change over the long term? And Simon, if I ask you first. Um, absolutely. Well, I think the um, a clear term that ought to be considered at the moment is, is flexibility. Um, I think um, owners and occupiers of real assets need to be adaptable to change. Uh, and as I mentioned above, you know, we've seen some big acceleration of, of, of themes which were previously moving quite slowly and are now moving very rapidly. And certainly within that theme of, of flexibility and, and change, you know, we could see you know, quite a degree of repurposing uh, of assets. Uh, the relationship, uh, for example, between uh, our towns and our cities uh, and regions, certainly within the UK, could change. We, we could see uh, a degree of, of de-urbanisation. Uh, if we move to a more flexible working model uh, in the long term and we continue to consume in the way that we are, that might cause people to consider um, you know, where we work, um, which may have the knock-on into where we live, uh, which then has the impact on the built environment around in our towns and cities. And certainly within, again, the UK context, that could see um, a bit of regionalisation levelling up. Um, as the government have said. Uh, so I think uh, certainly investors and occupiers need to be flexible, uh, look at demand drivers, uh, and try and think ahead in terms of uh, how people are going to want to live, uh, travel uh, and work. Anil? Yeah, look, I, th I think we've, um, you know, as individuals, we've all appreciated the, the cleaner air. We're probably all enjoying not commuting as much as we may be used to. Um, and I think that all plays to the net zero agenda and, uh, and ESG more broadly. So um, from my perspective, I think, you know, what's a, what's a silver lining to the, to the COVID cloud? Well, it's probably the acceleration towards that sort of net zero environment, ESG more broadly, and, and that being a sort of central tenet to uh, many companies' uh, uh, go-forward strategies, whether, and whether that's you're your, your an asset owner, whether you're an investor, whether you're a developer, uh, I think that sort of net zero ambition um, sits front and centre in, in 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 strategic thinking now, uh, and I think that's for the good actually. Um, so uh, that that would be uh, my uh, my contribution to uh, sort of the, the way businesses should be thinking about real assets use um, over the long term. Thanks, Neil. Um so look, we talked a little bit earlier in the podcast around the uh, challenges and the opportunities for, for real assets. Uh, just finally, both of you, what, what are your top tips for organisations looking to stay resilient through this clearly difficult time? S Simon, again, I'll ask you first. Well, I think the, the key thing to consider is uh, that deep um, thinking around what the future landscape um, could look like in real assets, both across infrastructure uh, and real estate usage. Um, we think first mover advantage will be important. Um, we think the trends which were already happening are accelerating fast. We can see that. Uh, we think new entrants will come to the market with a, an angle to disintermediate, uh, particularly around uh, technological angles and, and flexible angles. So we think that either investors, um, owners or occupiers of, of real assets need to think potentially more broadly uh, than they might have thought about their traditional business models and try and anticipate uh, where we might be as a society. Um, going forward. And a big part of that is make sure you're focused on and understand your customers. Uh, certainly, we've seen um, a very significant change in the relationship between landlords and tenants, for example, in real estate. Uh, and we need to have a, a, a very watchful eye 
uh, on what happens to demand uh, within our traditional real estate um, and infrastructure asset classes in terms of how people want to live, how people want to occupy offices, how they want to travel, uh, what infrastructure will need to be in place to facilitate the digital usage that we're now in. And I think crucially also think about if there is repurposing and if you are th doing things differently, uh, think about how you do the right thing. That, that build back better we think is important. Uh, and we think that uh, companies and investors will be rewarded by society uh, for doing the right thing. And Neil, finally. Uh, thanks, Paul. Um, so I, firstly, I agree with everything that Simon uh, has, has uh, stated. And I think what sits at the heart of much of what we're seeing is huge disruption. Um, for which uh, COVID has been a been a catalyst, and we're seeing business models being upended on a daily basis. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I talked earlier about some of the stress and distress that's building in the supply chains um, that I think will sort of um, fully fully come to bear uh, or be fully visible when some of the support and uh, stimulus mechanisms start to unwind later in the year. Um, so I would be encouraging organisations to have some of the difficult commercial discussions with their suppliers um, sooner rather than later uh, and starting to think through what the individual response strategies might be to each supplier that is critical to their operations or the delivery of their asset. Um, and that might be a sort of mediated route to any uh, commercial settlements that need to be achieved all the way across the spectrum up to uh, relying on the sort of contract remedies that exist. Um, beyond beyond that, I think there is absolutely something about technology and embracing technology um, and using this current situation as a as a uh, a way of sort of accelerating um, the the move to a uh, sort of digital asset, digital operational, or digital digital operations uh, environment, um, and and how technology can start to sort of refine and develop uh, existing business models. Um, I think resilience, uh, and I think we've seen many organisations, you know, look at resilience through sort of fairly conventional lenses. Um, but I think resilience now on business continuity planning um, really needs to come to the fore um, as we continue to sort of work through COVID and all of the change and impact that that's creating in the in the, in the broader environment that our, our sort of business um, communities and our public sector uh, infrastructure asset owners operate in. Um, and then the final point for me is is about um, you know the the optimization of uh, capital and you know how and where is that deployed and using the full suite of uh, tools and models that are available to look at some of those really complicated trade off decisions um, and if you're you know if you're in the public sector then you know how do you maximise societal uh, or economic return and if you're in the private sector. How do you maximise shareholder return from a strategic perspective in thinking through all of the different strategic options that are available in a changing world where people are talking about flexibility? You know, how do you model the different scenarios and make sure your capital uh, is delivering the uh, maximum return that's possible for you? Okay, some some great top tips there and plenty for our listeners to think about. I'm sure. Unfortunately, that does bring us to the end of this podcast. Um, so I do want to say thank you to Simon and to Neil both of you for sharing your insights on this interesting topic and providing us with those top tips. And of course, thank you to everyone for listening. If you'd like more insight on real assets, then please do visit our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash real hyphen assets and download our time to think differently thought leadership. 
which is a fascinating look at what the future might hold across the worlds of real estate and infrastructure. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please subscribe to the Business in Focus series to keep up to date with all of our episodes. Thanks, everyone. Speak to you next time.